Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Hello and welcome to Lost in Science for another week. My name is Claire and it is great to have you with us for another half an hour of some of the some of the best science that, you know, we have to offer and I have with me of course Stu and Chris. Hello. Hi Claire. Hi. What have you brought for us in the world of science to titillate Chris? Oh, look, I'm going to talk about something that's kind of been on my radar for a while, but uh, I wasn't sure how to approach it, so I'm just going to, I'm going to rip the Band-Aid off, as it were. Is it, is it radar? No, it's not. It's not that, would have been, that would have been an <laughs> appropriate that, metaphor. That would have been good, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, crystals. <laughs> crystals. I don't know, some people might think there's a certain um, radar effect with crystals, I don't know. Yeah, maybe. Maybe yeah. some, sort of, some sort of vibrations, man. Some sort of <laughs> That's right, that's right. I well, get crystals, as in those types of crystals, like well, just, vibration. Well, actually, I, I want to I want to talk about like crystals in general a little bit, but I want to talk about some weird kinds of crystals that have emerged in recent years. Quasi crystals is quasi crystals. Yeah, yeah, and cool. time crystals, which. I don't know, depending on your, your what you like, they're maybe not as cool as they sound. Um, they not sound like, pretty cool. They sound pretty science fiction. They're not really a Doctor Who thing, i got to say. Do they, do they, uh, is this something to do with chroniton particles? Because I know that's a Star Trek thing. Is it anything to do with them? No? No, it's nothing to do with chroniton particles, no. Good. No. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I'm going to um, try and talk about what quasi-crystals and, and time crystals are and um, yeah, get you all excited about crystals and condensed matter physics as it's known. And Stu, what do you have for us this week? Well, I'm I'm in deep in the world of biology and, and in a weird way also talking about condensed matter, but just looking at some recent research which has uncovered something which I would have thought biology had had sorted out some time ago, but really it was something we didn't actually really have a good handle on. And this is the question of during cell division, mm. how how do new cells know who they are? So we we didn't actually really have a good answer for that until very recently. And by oh, okay. who they are, what what do you what do you mean? Is in like what sort of cell they are? Yeah, that's right. So if you go through cell division, every cell's got all the information to build an entire organism. How does each individual cell know which part of the mm. organism it's in and mm-hmm. what is its mm-hmm. job now and what should it do next and all of those things didn't really know until wow. fairly recently well, so, it's yeah. a fairly important thing for understanding how like cancers and things work absolutely imagine. absolutely yeah. and it's yeah and and errors in that in that mm. uh detail is going to cause all sorts of problems so i'm going to look yeah, yeah. into what's going on there and what have they actually discovered about how this works Wow, so uh, cellular division and crystallography coming up on the show. Sounds like some good vibrations. (laughs) 
right, yes, crystals, man. You're putting Chris in crystals. I am putting the Chris in crystals. So, look, crystals sound pretty special, i got to admit. Um, but they're not probably as, I guess, far out there as some people might think. Um, so when you think about solids in general, solids are either what we call an amorphous solid, which is just like a bunch of stuff together, like glass, for instance, or they're a crystal where the atoms arrange themselves in, and the molecules arrange themselves in fairly regular shapes. So is this to do with, you know, like in, in chemistry, you have mixtures, which is just a random assortment of stuff, and you have compounds, which are, have a specific chemical formula? Is that, is that kind of where, where you have amorphous solids are mixtures and crystalline structures are from compounds? Is that... Uh, look, not really. It's... it's, um, it's... It's kind of more complicated than that, I suppose. I mean, glass is not really that way because it's a, you know, it's a mixture or anything like that. It's more to do with the, the properties of the stuff that it's made out of. And I guess that's that's the thing. So crystals, yeah, we tend to think of as like fairly simple compounds that join together in a structured way. And it's, uh, but they don't have to be those uh, those things like that. Like you think of things like salt, for instance, you know, your, your salt crystals, you know, sodium chloride forms these nice cubic crystals. But like um, metals, for instance, um, generally have a crystalline structure. The the atoms are arranged in a crystalline structure. It's just that they're, they're kind of all joined together with sharing electrons and um, the way they bond allows them to be more flexible than a lot of your other kind of conventional crystals, I, could, I suppose you could say. Um, but yeah, the, and the, the way that they form together as crystals is determined by things like the, the way that the, the molecules bond together. And, you know, this is famously seen in things like, um, finding the, the double helix structure of DNA, which was like Rosalind Franklin was an X-ray crystallographer. She made essentially crystals of DNA and then looked at how they, the structure by looking at how then the crystals, uh, diffracted X-rays. So, yeah, it's, it's a fairly common thing for, for solids. But like crystals, like I said, are, it's, they're formed by the way the molecules join together and they have these kind of repeating patterns, as you can imagine. It's like the, the square salt crystals. You get some like kind of more triangular ones, I suppose, those sort of things. And there's different kinds of symmetries, but there's only a limited number of shapes that can fit together in, a, in that kind of regular format. Mm. Um, also, it was believed. Right. And this is where we come into um, my first weird crystal, which is the quasi-crystals or qua- <laughs> quasi-crystals. How do you want to pronounce it? And um, I, I, I'd like to go with quasi-crystals. Quasi-crystals. Okay. That'll, that'll quasi be. sounds good as well. So these are crystals that are, they're an ordered structure still, but they're not periodic. So they don't have like a, a generally repeating pattern. If you slide all the the atom, you know the molecules one over it's not going to match so they they're not a uniform competing pattern but they look kind of ordered and structured and these so are they're somewhere between a amorphous structure and a crystal well they're like a non-structured crystal or a non-periodic crystal i suppose they do have a structure so what they can be compared with um there's a form this is and this is terrible for radio but there is something called penrose tiling which is discovered by the mathematician roger penrose which is basically he discovered a way to do tile patterns that were kind of they look like they're repeating pattern but they're not exactly like if you you can't find the same thing repeated 
if you if you move it over but they're kind mm. of made out of shapes like you know pentagons or rhombuses or those sort of things and a lot of kind of similar kind of patterns are seen in, say older islamic architecture that sort of thing um if you're familiar with story hall at rmit in melbourne that's got kind of this pattern on it as well and these these patterns the particular i think the classic penrose tiling has uh a five-fold symmetry as in you can rotate it um, fifths of a rotation and it'll match up. So you can't slide it over and find the exact matching pattern, but you can rotate it uh, through, you know, a fifth of a rotation and that will match up. And so that's not like a normal kind of regular tiling where you might have, say, hexagons or squares yeah. and those sort of things. You with me so far? Yeah. Yeah. So when it comes comes to crystals, yeah, so they have this thing where you can like, there's, there's similar, I mean, if you go along, there's similar but um, they also have very limited shapes that can fit together. They have very limited kind of rotational symmetries. They're either going to be one, two, three, four, or six-fold rotations. But your quasi-crystals can have different rotational symmetries. So they might have not have this exact repeating pattern, but they also have this rotational symmetry. And there was one that was the first one discovered was discovered in 1984 by Dan Schechtman, who later won the Nobel Prize for it. Um, and it had a tenfold rotational symmetry. It was uh, aluminium and manganese uh, sort of alloy that he used. And yeah, that, that was very controversial for a long time. People didn't believe that this kind of things could actually exist. Uh, his paper was rejected initially because like no one's going to be interested in this uh, this made-up stuff. You're not, you know, you're seeing things. But of course, it stood the test of time. Other people replicated the experiment, and since then, over a hundred have been identified of these sort of quasi-crystals. And some ones have been found in nature as well. So the first one, there was kind of a call put out to look for people's crystal collections or mineral collections to see if they could find any of these uh, quasi-crystals. And the first natural one was discovered as late as 2008. And it was a sample taken from a meteorite strike on the Kamchatka Peninsula in Russia's Far East. So this kind of indicated that it may be these extreme conditions could form these quasi-crystals. So people started going looking for other crystals formed in these extreme conditions. And one of the places they went to was nuclear explosions. And they found this substance called from the Trinity test back in um, the original kind of Los Alamos experiments, they found this substance called red trinitite, uh, which was kind of had metals fused with sand at high pressures and temperatures and it formed some quasi-crystals. Wow. Fascinating. Yeah, and there was one that was discovered or published earlier this year in February 2023 that was observed in uh, what's known as a fulgurite. Uh, a what? A fulgurite is fossilized lightning. Um, oh my god! So what? I've actually seen some of these. So like one one time, I was interviewing a uh, someone, a, a geologist at the Melbourne Museum, and talking about their collection. They showed me, opened a drawer, and they showed me this fossilized lightning. Basically, uh, when lightning strikes the ground and goes through, say, sand or something like that, it <gasps> it makes this kind of glass kind of crystalline structure and you get this thing that looks like a lightning strike, but it's made out of minerals. So, so fossilized in the way well, it's, it's, it's lightning turned into pressure. rock. It's lightning right, turned into light. rock. Okay, okay. So yeah. you, so you can catch lightning in a bottle then? Well yes. I suppose in that sense, yes, dude. Well done. <laughs> but um so yeah, it was one that was, that was discovered in America and it was found after a storm um and near a site with a downed power line. 
And now, so the they don't know whether it was the, the power line or the lightning from the storm that did it, or whether it was a bit of both. Like the, the quasi-crystal, uh, there is some aluminium there, which seems to have come from the power line. And it's kind of the quasi-crystal is in the, the area between the aluminium and the, the glass from the, the, you know, the silica around it. Um, and this one has 12-fold symmetry, which again is not like a normal kind of symmetry that you would find in crystalline materials. So yeah, that was, shows that even lightning strikes and fossilized lightning can contain these weird crystals. But they're not quite as weird as time crystals. And look, I wondered, I've been wanting to talk about time crystals for a while because they sound really cool, but there's, they're a bit hard to talk about. There's not really a lot in the kind of the time constraints we have on here. If only I had a time crystal to help me with this. But essentially, um, they're not kind of things that the hippies would get excited about. You know, I said what a crystal was is like a periodic structure through space. You know, you move it, move the atom, you move through space. You see this repeating pattern. Um, time crystals are periodic in time rather than space. So, how, how does that work? Well, they're kind of you think of there's some sort of oscillation that just goes on forever. It's like a ticking clock. They call it that goes on forever without dissipating energy. So they were, and this, we're talking here at the atomic level, we're talking like a crystal, we're talking at the atomic level. And so they were first theorized in 2020, 2012 by the Nobel Prize winning physicist Frank Wilczek. Uh, and the first time crystal was made in 2016 out of 10 atoms of ytterbium, uh, whose spins were made to oscillate, but driven by laser pulses. And so, but the interesting thing is they were driven by the pulses, so they had to be forced in some way by these laser pulses, but they weren't absorbing energy from the laser so much. They were giving back the energy that they took in. So they were kind of in a uh, steady state of ticking, but they were um, they're not in a stable equilibrium. They were kind of out of equilibrium, they call it, because they're, they're moving constantly. Um, and yeah, this is... They're, non-symmetric in time i suppose because they they change over time uh yeah and people have been trying to make lots of other ones since they have been created and also modeled in quantum computers a lot of people have gone crazy with their quantum computers for time crystals and demonstrating essentially that um that yeah that you can make this as a, as a new state of matter essentially is this this idea of something that is periodic in time and rather than in space who knows what applications it might have? I don't know. I mean, obviously, a clock is the main thing you think of because that's what kind of what they do. But, you know, like a new stage, state of matter, if we can get like stable time crystals, who knows what we can do with such a thing. Anyway, that's the weird world of crystals. I don't know if it's weirder than you thought it was. Um, there's your vibrations right there in your time crystals. So you wanted vibrations. I delivered you some vibrations. You definitely uh, delivered on the vibrations. Yeah, and I had lightning in a bottle. So look, I think I've I think I've delivered something a bit weird here, even if it doesn't all make a lot of I sense. I think we're lost. We're not lost. Not even any short range radio signals yet? Except for a single, very powerful radio emission. Of course, a transmitter of that sort isn't exactly standard equipment. The science and technology must be absolutely mind-boggling. Of course, that's uh, it's mostly on the theoretical side. So far. Across Australia on the Community Radio Network, you're listening to Lost in Science. Now, I know both of you are quite familiar with the concept of moving house. Yes. Um, 
as as oh, yeah. most as most of our listeners probably are, and packing up boxes of everything you own at one end and sorting it all out again in the new place is a massive job. Keeping track of everything takes a lot of organization and you can make lists and you can label your boxes all you like and you will still not be able to find that one particular thing when you get to the other end. You won't be able to remember which box it was in. It's just not going to turn up. But now I want you to think like, just where for a I, second. Where did I pack the box opener? That, that's always a good one. Yeah. 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 Um, now I want you to think, uh, this is a pretty nightmarish scenario. I want you to think what it'd be like if before you moved out of your house, everything you own was doubled in the same space and then moved into two separate houses. Now you think it's hard moving house? Try doubling everything you've got to move <laughs> before you, oh. before you can even move it. You've got to, double it before you move it and then move it. Now, the reason I'm saying this is because this is kind of what happens when cells divide in living things. Everything inside the cell is copied and everything inside the cell has to make a copy or have copies made of it, uh, all the cell contents in the same amount of space before the cell divides and grows into two new cells. It's, it's a lot to do inside the little cells. It now, is actual... a lot when you think about it like that. Yeah. I mean, can you imagine trying to, I mean, I've definitely done this, tried to rearrange a room without taking things out of the room. That's hard yeah. enough. But doubling everything in the room and then moving oh. it around, that's, that's crazy talk. Now, the actual process of cell division has been extensively studied, but not everything is well understood. And despite the absolute necessity of this process. This happens millions of times a day in your own body, this cell division process, and in all the other living things around as yeah. well. This is why I don't impress by this, because, like, I'm doing it now. I mean, uh, <laughs> saying, oh, it's difficult. Oh, watch me. There you go. Not even, I'm not, not even thinking about it. Bam. thinking about it. Yeah. I think it's something like 50,000 skin cells every minute or something you're losing, yeah. so... Makes your skin cool. Working hard, even even in your sleep. Now, the average the average human cell has about two meters of DNA inside each cell. That's that's uh, that's how long it would be if you stretched it out. It's so a lot got... of DNA, but it's also a lot of DNA to copy, isn't it? Well, yeah, um, and you know that's contained in a cell that's somewhere between ten and a hundred microns in size. A micron is a millionth of a meter or a thousandth of a millimeter if you want to think of it in those terms tiny is what we're saying um and just before the cell divides there's double the amount of dna so there's a four meters of dna in the cell before it splits that is you know i mean i don't know how you know we're all trying to go wireless these days but i have so many cables and the idea of four meters of cable in such a small space freaks me out and makes me uh, nervous. But this is happening, as I said, millions of times a day in everyone's body. Each cell needs a full complement of DNA in order to function. If any of the information contained in the strands gets mixed up, important genes may not function at all. And that would be a bad thing. Now, the organization of DNA in a resting cell, that is a cell that's not actively dividing, is so exact, the entire two-meter strand can be contained in a very small space, only a few microns, 
And there are structures in the cells especially for this. There's a special complex of proteins called chromatin, which is sort of the structure of DNA. We all know the helical structure. Chris mentioned it before, the double helix structure of DNA. That's kind of the simplest structure that DNA gets formed into. So the chromatin organizes the DNA into increasingly complex 3D shapes. So first, the DNA wraps around histone proteins as kind of loops in a string. So you can kind of imagine a string with little loops in it. That's, that's how it first gets uh, wrapped up. Then they are formed into thicker fibers of tightly packed strings. And then they finally get formed into chromosomes, which are sometimes large enough to, to be visible with a microscope. This is, you know, it's one of the standard microscope slides you look at in biology will be cell division, you know, probably from an onion root or something like that. That's generally the ones we used to use anyway. Um, but so you can actually see the chromosomes and that's, that's uh, the, the most massive that the, the DNA is that you can actually see it with your naked eye. But in order to copy the DNA, it has to be unraveled. So you have to unravel it partially so you can make a copy of it because the enzymes need to be able to read one side of the DNA strand. So you've got to unwrap it from these multiple uh, shapes that it's been formed into by the chromatin. And that's you know one of the things that happens during mitosis. And mitosis is kind of, they also call it the cell cycle because it happens a lot um, in all living things. Now, as a result of the division of the cells, it's got to do all, it's got to make these copies every time and information is potentially lost each time a cell divides. So if the process isn't exactly right and with millions of them happening a day that might be several times a day potentially. Each time each time the cell divide it can lose information. That loss of information can lead to cells not functioning correctly and is also just in general a contributor to the aging process. So one of the reasons that people and animals and plants all get older is because eventually you lose too much information and things stop working. Now, in some cases, genetic information can be corrupted in ways that give rise to uncontrolled cell division. And this is how we get development of, or one of the ways you get development of cancerous tumors is just that it's incorrectly copied information. The cell is not getting the right instructions and it starts to divide and divide and divide. And that's one of the ways you get, you get those kind of tumors. So when a cell has divided, it needs instructions on what sort of cell it is to become. It's either going to be a differentiated cell with a specific function. So, you know, it could be a, a skin cell or, a, you know, any of the other specialized cells in the body. Or it could be a cell that continues to divide. So that, that is also a function that we need to retain as well. So those instructions have to come somehow from the original cell as well. So in new research from the University of Copenhagen, published in Cell, the journal, in February, a previously unknown mechanism has been identified that helps explain how this happens. And as I said in the intro, it's quite amazing that we've gotten as far as we have in biology without understanding this, because without this, all of biology kind of collapses, and we didn't know this until this work was done. Um, so some of the proteins from the chromatin, called histones, as I mentioned them before, are repurposed during cell division to help 
convey the information to new cells about how they should develop. So information from the original cell is passed to both new cells and that information is uh, recombined with new histones that are made during the cell division process and they cross-match their data, basically. They cross-match their information. So there's this built-in double check of what kind of cell it is and where it's, you know, what, what is its immediate future after the cell division. So some of the histones remain relatively unchanged by the process and they pass from the old cell to the new cell. Other histones are altered and recycled by the process itself. So the combination of new and old information gives a better set of instructions to the new daughter cells and reduces the amount of errors that you can that you can get. So it's, it's, like, a, it's like a proofreading they match their data with each other and the new ones and the old ones figure out, oh, yep, which is the which is the best version of the data or the information that we've got. So this research offers a new uh, pathway to understanding cell division errors and also opens the door to understanding, uh, you know, how those division errors can lead to diseases like cancer and the cell deterioration that's just associated with aging as well. So it really does um, sort of open a whole new pathway of research in that cell division space. Now, back, back to what I was saying at the beginning, it's a much better system than I've ever used to move house. But, you know, if we look at it in the way that this system's been under development for a lot longer than houses have even been around. So they've had more time to work it out. <laughs> That's all we have time for on another episode of Lost in Science. Lost in Science is recorded on the lands of the Kulin Nation in the studios of 3CR and broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network with the kind support of the Community Broadcasting Foundation. If you'd like to get in touch with us, we'd love to hear from you. You can find us at lostinsightgmail.com, find us on Twitter where we are Lost in Science 1, or find us on Facebook where we are Lost in Science on 3CR. Or just tune in again next week when Claire, Stu and Chris get lost in science.
Thanks for listening to a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online.